Welcome back to Officially Unofficial. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American Johnny Junta. And my oh my, are we here with a very, very special guest. He is the pride of Port Hope, Ontario. He's a legend in Canadian baseball. Eighth overall draft selection, Stanford, Stanford alumni. It is my pleasure to welcome the starting pitcher of the Cleveland Indians, Cal Quantrill, to the Official Unofficial podcast. How are we doing, Cal? Pretty good. I'm excited to be on and a Canadian host to boot. Yeah. And, you, and the, by the way, you just said to boot with the best accent I've ever heard in my life. It feels so refreshing. I feel like you, you're the first Canadian we've had on in like probably 30, 40 episodes. So this is just refreshing, man. So how have you been, bro? How, how are you doing? Good. Loving Cleveland. Um, you know, we're it's tough. It's coming into, <laughs> we call it angry August. Everyone's just at the turning point in the season. It's either you, you really want it and we'll figure it out or or it's a grind for the final 60 days, but you know, I like the squad. We're here. I'm actually calling you from Chicago. We're, uh, we're got a game again tonight against the White Sox. Yeah, no, it's a great series. White Sox cause like yesterday's game was electric, but, and I want to talk about yesterday cause we're recording this on Saturday after the day of the deadline. And you could talk about the Bryant trade. You could talk about the bias. You could talk about Rizzo. You talk about all that stuff. But the one that hits home to me, the one that breaks my heart, and I'm assuming it breaks your heart as well, is one of my really good friends, friend of the pod, Jordan Luplo getting dealt to the Tampa Bay Rays. Someone cue the music. I'm about to cry. This is just emotional for me. Let's go into that for you. Where were you when you found out Loops is gone, and what was your immediate reaction? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think every every July 30, July 31, or whatever the date is, every time it's it's a uh, it's kind of a scary day. You wake up and you're, you're checking Twitter. <laughs> it's just refreshing, refreshing. Seems like we find out on Twitter before we find out on uh, from from our front office most of the time. But actually, Luke was on the bus with us on the way to the field. So that was a last minute deal. Got off the bus and it was like um, Cody, Cody Hewer. I think that's how you say his last name. Cody yeah. is walking out of the White Sox locker room. He's off to Chicago. We're wishing him luck. And then all of a sudden, Loops held up before we even get into the uh, the clubhouse to break the news. So. Um, it's tough. I mean, listen, you, you, you spend so much time with these guys, right? It's, you know, 200, 250 days straight playing catch, hanging out at the field, getting your work done. Um, and you end up making connections and, and loops a great guy, but you know, I think that this is going to be an opportunity for him and wish him the best. And in the end, we'll see him. We'll see him. We're going to play him. It's going to be yeah. great. Maybe I'll have to look. I brush him back a little bit next yeah, time throw, I see throw him. Remind a him. Inside. Throw a little inside. <laughs> and, and Luplo has a little bit, not of a temper, but if you throw inside on him, Luplo is going to angry. Oh, Luplo he will like is, it. He is one of the scariest <laughs> dudes when he's angry of all time. I play, I see him with on caught all the time. I mean, when he's angry, it's a nightmare <laughs> fuel. So it's just, it's a bad bounce. And, and for people listening, and they're saying, Johnny, like he plays for the Indians. Why are you heartbroken? The, the Cleveland Indians were legit coming to Toronto on Monday. I had tickets all ready to go. Maybe I'll just keep them because I'm me and Cal are good friends now. But I'm a loop loads excited. He texted me, see you in the six on Monday. Next thing I know, I refresh my phone and loop loads on my division rival. So it's just it's a terrible bounce for me. The trade deadline's crazy. And being a guy obviously like you that plays in the show, do, were you like refreshing your phone, keeping keeping track with this deadline, just seeing all the crazy shit that was happening? Yeah, I mean. I would say, I'd say probably about 48, 72 hours before the deadline, I started being pretty interested. It seems like it was a little, little slow to get going, but then the two days before with the big trades started coming in, um, you know, we've got MLB network up in the clubhouse, guys got phones. Um, we're trying to keep up to date half the time. It's, you know, it's as much for our team and knowing what's going on. And it's, as it is about our friends, our friends are getting dealt all over the place. Like Phil Maton gets traded yesterday too. And, 
We got Miles Straw showing up today. We'll meet him. I faced him in Double A a bunch of times. We faced him this year. You end up some interesting situations. We have another Canadian the other day. I'm not sure if you saw Abraham Toro. Yeah. I believe hit a home run against the Mariners. Got traded to the Mariners and then hit a home run against yeah, the Astros. The first ever. That's the first time that's right? ever happened. Yeah. Like crazy things happen at the deadline, and and especially you know you see like something like last night where we play the White Sox a lot, and it's a competitive game. Yeah. Uh, we have Hernandez on our team for the beginning of the year, and there's a little shoving match clears the benches, and and now there's a little shoving match yesterday that clears the benches. He's on the other side, so it's uh, it's a it's a wild time of the year, man. Dude, I couldn't even imagine it. And just speaking of like just the crazy shit going on, you were a part of a pretty big trade as well. I mean, you and another guy that I grew up playing with, Josh Naylor, was traded to the Cleveland Indians. We're gonna call it the we're gonna say the Cal Quantrill trade. You were traded for for I don't uh, Mike. know I don't know if that's true. I think <laughs> it's, I think that's maybe the Owen Miller and Gabe Arias trade with some throw-ins it's on the right. side. That's <laughs> all right. We're gonna say um, the, the the Cal Quantrill trade for Mike Clevenger. Where were you when you found out you got dealt? Because it was, I mean, you got dealt pretty late. It was August 31st, 2020. So it's not like it's kind of the, like the, where it is now, like earlier in the season. So where yep. were you when you found out you got traded? And what was your kind of initial reaction? Because you're playing in San Diego. You're playing with Fernando. You're living the I mean, you're living the dream. You're playing with Fernando Tatis. You get to watch that every single day. Where were you when you kind of find out like you're getting dealt now? I think. Okay, this is going to be bad if I'm wrong, but I'm 99% sure we, I, I got woke up in Denver to a phone call from Preller um, that, we, that I got dealt with a bunch of guys. Um, it was one of those ones that you kind of almost thought you were in the clear, right? Like yeah, the deadline, I don't remember if it passed or if it was getting so close. I was like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm good. They control me for like four or five years. I'm yeah. good. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and then we got that big trade. Um, it's wild. Hey, I got to say, it's, uh, it's tough. Your first team, you're always like maybe a little more romantic about um, then, then you have to recognize that there's a certain amount of business in this sport and there's great players and good guys all over the place. Um, you know, last year was a little bit rough. You come over, you play for like 30 games, you know, you never really got moved in, but spring training was great this year. Really got to know the guys early in the season. So it was good. Um, yeah, it's wild, man. There's nothing like that. You'll have to talk to Luke when you get that phone call. It's like, really? Really? You're just going to send me off to the other side of the country? It was, like. it was insane, though, because I, obviously we're referring back to Loop again, but it's insane because he was literally – he just flew to Chicago. He just finished his rehab stint. He flew to Chicago. He said, like he told me he was on the plane. He's getting ready to go to Chicago. I, literally, I refreshed my phone, and he's traded to, like, the Rays. It's insane to me how one – quick. It's insane. I guess it's like a businessman, but it's just insane how a team could do that. Like willingly flies a guy out when they know they're going to trade him. They had to have a little bit of an idea they were going to deal this guy. It's just, it's a, t it's a bad bounce, but I mean, he's going to a world series contender. I mean, it's, totally. it's always good. I think that's, sure. I always remind myself that too. Like, you know, selfishly, I would love to have our guys, but you know, we're, we're going to continue to try and make a push for the playoffs. That being said, loop's going to go to a team that that's really, really in the thick of it. So, you know, you got, I guess you got to look at it from his career side too. This could be a great move for him, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like it's tough. It happens quick. I don't know. You know, I'm not a GM. I don't know how it happens, but I imagine that um, no one's really off the, off the, the chopping block until, you know, until the last second, right. You hear offers for everyone. You got to do your due diligence. You never know. You're trying to make your team better. Um, you know, we had some movement, obviously in the outfield yesterday. Yeah, Rosario. You never know. You don't, you don't want to end up in a situation where there's, you know, 18 outfielders and you're fighting for one job kind of thing. Um, yeah, so you know what? I think it, it'll be good, and, and we'll keep in touch, and I'll see him in Arizona in the offseason.
Yeah, no, for sure. I, so let's go into your childhood for a second, because your dad's, I believe, played in the big leagues for 15 years, 14 years, somewhere around that line. And we've had guys with dads that played in the show in this, in this, uh, on this, on this podcast. What was like the funniest story from your childhood that you remember? Because a guy on the show, Tyler Osek, his dad played for the Pirates, and he told a funny story of when he was like six years old, a guy on the Pirates gave him a dip. Like he was like six years old and he had a dip. Do you have any funny stories like that where you heard like a swear word for the first time and you started repeating it and shit, and your parents were like, "You better cut that shit out, Cal." Uh, you know, I got a couple of good ones. I, I feel like I've told them a couple of times, but I definitely got left at the field once. 100% got left at a spring training facility. Had to ask Randy Johnson for a ride home. So that what? one was a wild. <laughs> the was big wild. unit? <laughs> the big unit. You got to understand too, like, uh, I guess uh, probably mo- like most uh, kids who dads played in the big leagues, you're, you're young, right? Like you're young. They retire at 40. You're still only whatever. Like, I guess my dad retired. I was probably still 12 or 13. Like, so the big unit is a, a massive human being among massive human beings. When you're like an eight year old, he's just an absolute giant. And I'm pretty sure that if I remember this correctly, it's end of both their careers, at least Johnson's career. We're in New York, Tampa spring training facility. I want to say mom, mom sent me down to the clubhouse. She left thinking that dad was going to get me in the clubhouse, take me home. He left. <laughs> I'm in the clubhouse going, Oh no. <laughs> well, I certainly am not driving home. There's no Uber. There's no nothing. I don't know how to get home. So I just go talk to my dad's locker mate, this big giant man. And he's a sweetheart. I think he, if I remember correctly, he called my dad. <laughs> it all worked out. I made it. That's incredible. Do you, I mean, do you still keep in contact with like Randy Johnson or is he like follow your career or anything like that? You know, I think that we cross paths with so many guys. It's, it's tough. Um, there's a couple of guys I definitely am like, like more aware of what's going on in their lives still. You know, a guy I actually talked to not too long ago was Eric Gagne. Oh, um, legend. A legend. A legend. Canadian legend. Uh, yeah, he's out in Arizona. I keep trying to try, try to work out something, go golfing with him, but I think he's just so much better at golf than me. I don't know if he wants to come out. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, guys like that, Eric Gagne, who come out of the pen through like 99 to 101 and then he'll go on the golf course and he's a stick. Those are the yeah. guys that I genuinely hate because I'll never be able to do that. It's just a little <laughs> bit of resentment. So I hate those guys. I feel and, that. and then, and I wanted to bring up your high school and college or high school and college career, because I was a young kid. And when you were kind of, I'm three years younger than you. So you were kind of the guy where I was looking up to being like, this guy made it. This guy's going D one. This guy's getting drafted. This guy's a dog. Maybe I could do that. Then I went Juco and hit 186. but that's besides the fact. So let's go into that. I mean, when you were in Port Hope and you were just playing for, I believe you're playing for the Terriers, is that correct? Ontario Terriers. Yep. And you were absolutely carving. At what point did you kind of realize, like, listen, I could actually make this a career. Like this could, I could do what my dad didn't be a professional baseball player. You know, it's funny. You brought that up. We were talking about this the other day, actually. I think I was talking with my dad about this. I was like, it was a long time before I was willing to fully quit on hockey as the dream. I remember thinking like it had to be going into like grade nine, grade 10. I was like, I'm still like, I'm still pretty good at this. And then I want to say it was like, I want to say we played. Well, I definitely got cut from like a triple A hockey team, but I also, we played some guys and I remember thinking like, Oh my God, these guys are like, I don't have this. They got an extra gear. Like I don't got this. I'm going to have to find a new sport. I was like, well, I'm still doing pretty good at baseball. So I'll like, I'll continue to do this. I would say when the first time I hit 90 was probably like a real telling moment, right? Like it's tough. I think that Canadian baseball is only getting better and better. But, you know, relatively spread out, not that many teams. The talent can be in small pockets. You'll play – you can play four or five games without – at least for me, like in Porto, without facing somebody who's throwing 85, 86. Yeah. Um, 
I think when I hit 90, I was like, all right, like this is going to play at kind of like both levels. Like this is going to play here. This is going to play in the States. Uh, this is going to play with the junior national team. I remember that being kind of a thing like, all right, I'm going to get after this now. And the Terriers was a great opportunity for me. It was one of those, like, you know, it sounds like you probably did something similar, but um, you know, maybe a little more exposure, you know, driving three hours to go to practice, driving six hours every weekend, to some tournament you're playing, you know, the Ontario blue Jays were another good team. Naylor was on that team. Yeah. You're starting to face some of the, like the premier talent. Um, I feel like I'd, say, I'd call it like, let's call it 16 somewhere, somewhere after like 16. I was like, okay, like, this, this could be good. When did the college offers start rolling in? Because you went to a school, in my opinion, it's the greatest school of all time, just because my favorite athlete of all time went there, Tiger Woods. So I just considered Stanford the greatest school ever. So what were the, like, what kind of offers were rolling in for you? Like, was Texas knocking on the door, Oklahoma? Like, what schools were ringing on the doorbell of Cal Quantrill? Yeah, it happened. I'd say it happened a little later for me, maybe, than some of the, like, big-time studs um, playing in the areas of these colleges. I'd say it was like sometime in grade 11, maybe early grade 12, turn the corner, playing on that junior national team, getting some like real looks because we're playing professional players, whether it be in the Dominican or yeah. to Florida. Um, I don't know exactly how it works. I would say this, like it kind of felt like they came in waves. I'd get some offers from schools, um, maybe like slightly more local, good schools. I was very interested in going to like a good school that also had a good baseball program. And it felt like, Okay, you'd get an offer from this school and then every school that was kind of like in that same baseball level yeah. would then like then put their offers. In. So it'd be like, you know, you get like 10 offers from from like good DT, good D2 schools, you know, in the northeast. And then like someone would hit like, let's say like Wake Forest would hit yeah. um, in North Carolina. And then like those surrounding schools who were kind of similar would all come and like, come to the table and see like, all right, like, you know, what's it at? Like, are you interested um, the West coast was interesting though. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a ton of, ton of love from some of the other schools on the West coast I was interested in. Um, and I got to say like, you know, Dean Stotts was the recruiting coordinator at, uh, Stanford when I got there and he, he did a fantastic job, but he didn't do much recruiting for me. I told him I wanted to go to Stanford. <laughs> I showed up and I was like, listen, like I'm good enough to play on your team. I want to go here. Give yeah. me the offer and let's just move on and be done with this. <laughs> I remember it's probably one of the most like, like, you know, you're, you're 18 years old. You think that you think your shit doesn't stink. You're the, you're the coolest guy on earth. I show up at this and I'm sitting at, I think I'm sitting at dinner. I'd gone out for, maybe it was dinner with Mark Appel and, and uh, Mark Marquis, the head coach the night before. And then we're grabbing breakfast. You know, that Appel is about to go first overall. He just went eighth overall. Yeah. He's the best pitcher in baseball. He's not going to be there when I get there. I remember just like sitting at the breakfast table and be like, well, yeah, I'm going to pitch Friday night. Like the very first Friday night. That's, I mean, like who else? It's going to be me. Like no idea what I'm getting myself into here. Yeah. I, like just completely confident, right? I'm striking out kids who've never played baseball before. I'm the best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk out of this West coast school, but it was good, man. I had a lot of fun out there. Dude. And, and I got to bring this up. Cause I've obviously never been to Stanford is is tiger as glorified there as, as i in my mind i think he is like are there tiger like pictures everywhere around the school like statues all that kind of shit because i'm just amazed and I, people are gonna say i'm stroking this guy off i legit love tiger woods so um, what's it like there I, I mean i think everyone knows that he went there and if you talk to a stanford guy we'll make sure we remind you but um no i'd say that they actually take a they take pride in their athletic program for sure right they win that capital one cup all the time but i think uh they make a point of like the things they advertise and really, really get after on campus is almost all academic. 
Um, really? I w- yeah, I wouldn't like. There's no tiger statue, you know. Wow. There's no. Uh, there's no. It's not like Christian McCaffrey's got this big bronze you know, sculpture outside the uh, outside the field house. Like, no, nah, I think that they they really try and focus on that. I, that's kind of the sales pitch too. Like, you can come here, you can achieve anything you want in sports, but you know, there's this whole other side. You, we're not going to let you forget about it, kind of thing. So how, and this is obviously, I'm assuming you're going to be humble with this answer here. How smart are you? Are you like legitimately a genius? Because to go to Stanford, like you said, you, I mean, and don't be humble. No. Don't play the humble card with me, Cal. No. I know for a fact you have to be smart to go there. I, I, work, I worked hard at school. I would say there's a difference between just being like naturally, like you walk into a room. Oh, like I, I understand calculus. Yeah. No, that was not me. I was just, I was a good studier. And I kind of had the advantage of getting hurt for two years so I could focus on school <laughs> for really? sophomore, no. junior year. It's insane, um, man. That's... It's different. I'm telling you, it's different. Like Tommy Edmond, okay? Uh, Cardinals yeah. player. Yeah. He was, he was on that team with me. That guy, wow. Like naturally gifted. Worked his, worked his butt off. But I'm telling you, like one of the smartest just naturally walk into a room, understands things. Oh. I, I felt like I had to grind a little bit to keep up with some of these some of the big dogs in those classes. That makes sense. But, and do you have any stories of like guys in your class that went on to just be multi cajillionaires, like just guys that started up massive company or stuff like that? Or you just didn't like communicate that much with people outside of the athletic realm. Oh, I think they're all in the process of doing it right now. I got guys. I was just texting a couple guys. I got a guy working at Facebook. They were in Chicago. One guy was working at Instagram. They're all moving to New York. They're back to the West coast. They're doing (laughs) great things. I got my, actually my freshman roommate, Max Drack, he was like six foot nine. We didn't have a ton in common, but he was a really nice guy. I found out like midway through freshman year, this guy's on like the build a solar car club, <laughs> like legitimately like build this solar car from nothing. He just go to the lab and they just put together a car and the car was going to drive like a hundred miles across the desert to prove they could. I'm like, all right, Jesus, like I got to buy stock in this guy. How do you buy stock in Matt Crack? I want, <laughs> I want to invest. Dude, Man, it's just like really, really impressive people. I but couldn't even the imagine. Was, is they were all like, it's kind of like the same, same guys I get along with in baseball. It just be motivated, right? Like whatever, like you seem to, you, you're motivated, right? This is your podcast. You want to, yeah. you want to put this thing to the top. Like it doesn't matter what you're motivated in. Just like get after something. And I felt like I was surrounded by people getting after it, which was perfect for me. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good it's a good spot to be. But and you could be honest here. I mean, was your self esteem a little bit low in the classroom yeah. seeing these super <laughs> geniuses there? Because I would have hated my life. I would have legit been yeah. so mad at these dudes. Like it had to be right. Yeah, first time, first time you get a grade that you uh, you're not used to getting in high school. It's like, oh, why is it so easy for that guy? I think the same when I'm pitching. Sometimes, like Dude. I'm sitting there on the bench and I'm so happy for my guy, but I'm like, man, they miss a lot of barrels. How are they doing that? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. You, you, I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right, man. But, and speak, I mean, at Stanford, you held your own, to be honest. I mean, you're the, you're the youngest and credit to me, by the way, for coming up and finding this stat genius. You were the youngest. You're the first freshman since Mike Messina ever heard of him. Hall of Famer to start on opening day for Stanford baseball. Do I have that correct? Yeah, so that's why I didn't lie at that breakfast. When I said I'd be starting Friday night, I wasn't lying. And that's why but- I respect <laughs> you. You're a man of integrity because you came out there. You put your balls on the table. You said to this guy, I'm starting opening day for Stanford baseball as a freshman, <laughs> and you did it. What were the nerves going into that opening day start? Because you're a kid, obviously, from Port Hope, Ontario. For people, all the American listeners, not many people know what that is. It's kind of a small town in Ontario, not the biggest town. Nope. And it's not Toronto. I'll say that. It's not Toronto, so – what was running through your body? Like, man, I'm a kid from Port Hope and I'm starting for Stanford university. Like what was going on there? 
Dude, I think it's the same thing every time. Like, we play in front of 40,000 fans. I think anybody denies that, like, that excitement, stress, whatever, that, that starts coming with the game. Like, I mean, it's real. It happens. It happens at the college level. It happens at the high school level. It happens at the big leagues. I think that just, like, for me anyways, when you step up on the mound, it's like, I don't know. It's none of that matters. You're, it's full on. It's like, yeah. you know, fight or flight. Like, you're either going to survive this or the, or the manager's going to walk out in a couple of minutes and ask for the ball. So, I'm not sure if it like anything's really changed now to then. Like, yeah, it was nerve wracking. It's definitely nerve wracking going out and facing the Toronto Blue Jays or facing the White Sox. I think that it just, you just goes away. You get on the mound and whatever. I prepared as good as I can. I'm going to hug some two seamers, maybe throw a couple cutters and we'll see. <laughs> and, and you, I don't think people understand. I mean, the, the impact that I guess you kind of have on baseball here, especially in Ontario, just seeing like obviously these kids these young kids that are playing travel ball right now, they see you in the show. Obviously, maybe they're not, they might not be as tall as you, but they see what you're doing, and they're like, listen, man, I could do that stuff. Like, it's kind of cool, especially me who was a trash-ass baseball player. I was a morale guy. I was a locker room guy. That's why I was so good on the team. But it's just, just seeing what you're doing. I mean, do you kind of see that impact you have when, you, let's just say, you go back to the Terriers facility or you're just kind of – or you're just, like, at baseball games and stuff like that? Yeah, I think I – I mean, i got to be real with you. I, Canada baseball has been, in my opinion, it's been on the, on the incline for the last 20, 30 years, right? You yeah. had, for, for me anyways, it was like, you've got Votto, you got Morneau, Jason Bay, a little bit before that, Ryan Dempster, heck, Fergie Jenkins, if we go all the way back. Yeah. What I'm super proud of now is I feel like it's not uncommon to talk to 20, 30, 40 guys who have either done the Juco route, D2, D1, or playing an independent ball. I'm running into guys in the big leagues now. Canadian guys who I don't know. That's awesome. That's exactly where we need to be. Right. Like I've never met Abraham Toro, but that's cool. Like it's cool that we are getting to the point now where it is so, so massive, this sport that, that it's no longer like you and I know the the 15 most likely players to play, you know, pro ball. But in terms of like my impact, I don't know, man. I think that I, I love coming home. I love going to the terrace facility. I love seeing guys who are like engaged in watching baseball right now and seeing someone who's only four or five years older than them came from a smaller town than them doing it because it really it has, you know, the hardest part is getting seen in Canada. Once you get past that, then it's just competing. You know, these kids are the same age as you across the border. They're no better than you. They got no, no cooler, you know, they're no stronger than you. They're not eating anything. You're not eating. Like you just got to compete, go out there, compete, surround yourself with, with good baseball players. You did the Juco route. I think that's fantastic. There's a million ways to get there. Um, I love seeing it. I think it's great. Uh, the thing, I, the next step I want to see is I want to see, I'd like to see this league that, that I played in that Ontario Terriers league, take it to the next level with like, I don't know where they're at now, but 16, 20 teams, you know, maybe less spread out a couple divisions, turn that into something special in Southern Ontario with all that, you know, where there's so many, so many athletes. I think that'd be great. we got to start stealing some of these hockey and lacrosse players, True. man. And, and when, by the way, that just speech you just said about Canadian baseball, when I die, someone play that at my funeral. That was the most inspirational shit I think I've ever heard in my life. Makes me want to go back to Juco and kind of perform better. So credit to you for that. But it's just, it's, it's, oh, you're, you are right though, man. And especially guys that I kind of grew up even playing against or playing with was jo like Josh Naylor. Just seeing what that guy was, 
he, by the way, he is the, like the biggest freak of nature athlete of all time. And it doesn't, and nothing on the planet aggravates me more than when people come out as weight, come out as shape. It's the hey, dumbest shit guy, of all time. That guy's faster than 95% of players in baseball. Exactly. Isn't it he's, crazy? He's you'll see, real. You'll see the tweet and people will be like, oh, he's fat. He can't play the outfield. He's chubby, all this kind of stuff. And then he probably, he runs like a below, like higher yeah. than major league average to first and base. And he outlifts them and he can throw harder than them. Yeah. I mean, I always, I, that, that stuff cracks me up. It's like, you guys have no idea. Like, Naylor is a freak athlete. So are both of his brothers, who, by the way, you will both see that in the big leagues too. Miles. My yeah. opinion. Miles and, and uh, Bo. Freaks. Yeah. Freaks. Maybe Bo. Hey, never know. Bo next year. He caught yeah. a bunch of pens for me in spring. It looks pretty good. Dude, he's Bo Naylor. And he was in the Futures game as well. So Bo is another guy that's just. He's 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 a dog, and then you're gonna have Miles. He's already committed to Texas Tech, and he's legit yeah. like 13, 14. I gotta listen. I gotta know what these nailers are doing. We need to write a whole book about what these parents are doing because there's no way you can create three athletes, three first rounders, three top ten picks. I believe. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it's a three top ten or top. Like, 15 hey, it's picks. like the the Stall brothers of, uh, of yeah of baseball, dude. It's insane to me. And you got to tip your cap to Chris Naylor. Shout out Chris Naylor, who's the goat, <laughs> like the the Canada baseball's father. I mean, this guy is a freak of nature. And I, if I was him, I'd be the cockiest human being of all time. If I had three sons, <laughs> D1 or in the show, it's just incredible to me. So shout out Chris Naylor, man. I mean, what was your interaction? I mean, have, have you interacted with Chris and the Naylors and all that kind of stuff besides Josh? Um, I know, I know the Naylors pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's been, we've been together for a long time. I joke around. I've played with, I've probably played more baseball games with Naylor than anyone else in the world. So like, actually, I like to tell this story. Well, I don't, we'll call it 50% true, 50% me fabricating. I let up, we were, we were getting ready to go to like Florida or something with the national team. I'm a year older than Naylor, maybe two years older. And at this point, like, I feel like I'd established myself. Like I was going to start most, not most, well, I was going to start an important game for Canada during this like world championship. I was no longer trying to just make the team. I was trying to like establish my place on this, this 18 year team. And we go to some field in Toronto for like a scout showcase thing. Most of our team Canada's there. Our coaches are there. You know, just one last check. Is there anybody kind of in this in, that we need to bring on this trip? And I'm pitching and I'm kind of Dyson. And then Naylor gets in here and I'm like, who is this? He's like 16, 15 years old at this point. Yeah. He like, was I'm young. like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, what's the point of facing this guy? I'm, I'm 18. Like I'm off to school next year. This guy's like 15 years old. He hits an absolute rocket missile, 135 mile an hour linea the other way <laughs> off the wall on a, like a good fastball. He comes with us the next day to wherever the heck we're going. And the story is like <laughs> from there. So I'm, I'm when he's in the Hall of Fame or whatever the great things happen, I'm going to tell him it's all because I threw him a cookie, let him make the team. Yeah, <laughs> Meanwhile, true. I was trying to throw, I was trying to throw I, nasty, nasty on the side. Dude, it, people like people don't understand the impact that Naylor had. Like this guy was on the news when he was like 15. Like people were legit talking about oh, yeah. this dude and he was like 15. Because I remember what you're talking about because that was during the uh, eliminations. Is that correct? Like where the, all the teams in Ontario or the best teams in Canada face each other. He was supposed to be playing for Ontario. Uh, and then he, I, I, I look up and he's playing for Team Canada in like Italy. Yep. You guys, he's yep. like 15 years yep. old. And he just, and you had to take him. It was so obvious at the end of this. It was like, okay, like that guy's ready. But, but what made that so special to me was like, you have to imagine a kid, some 15 year olds only seen, you know, it's Canadian baseball. Let's say he's seen 84, 85. He's gone across the board. He's seen a couple guys going hard. And he just, it's like the first time he saw 90, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm comfortable. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, like, no, for sure. Good for you, my man. It's impressive. <laughs> but yeah. The guy it played is. on the, him and Brett Lowry. I don't know if anyone's played on the junior national team longer than those two made yeah. it when they were like 15 years old, play for four years. 
I mean, Naylor, then he goes first round, the whole deal. Then he gets traded, gets traded to San Diego with me. So I'm playing with him in San Diego again. Then we get traded together to Cleveland. I'm like, oh my God, Nails. Dude, <laughs> We're destined. We're just going to play together. You guys are destined career. to play. And honestly, if he's, if you or him, or if you guys aren't in each other's wedding parties, there's something going off here. I, mean, I don't know what's <laughs> going on. You guys are pretty much like siblings. So, and I wanted to go into that uh, San Diego Padres team. You make your debut May 1st, three days before my birthday. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, so you do that. What was running through your head on that debut? Because obviously that lineup was pretty, was starting to get a little bit more stocked, a little bit more experience. And you're starting to look around and being like, these guys are legit superstars I'm playing around with. Right. Yeah, no, that was good, man. So 2019, I think we still knew at that point it was going to be tough that year, but that, that like the future wasn't coming anymore. It was like, okay, like we're, we're, we're just about ready to compete. So we're calling up all our guys. We're finding out kind of like where we sit. I think I debut against the Braves in Atlanta. That's a real good team. Holy shit. Like, it's a real good team. Second pitch, I let up a triple to Albies. And I'm like, oh, my God. This <laughs> is like less than ideal. Yeah. <laughs> I got, now I got Acuna. I got Acuna, Freeman, blah, blah. I got an endless amount of guys I got to face here. Um, what, a, what a thrill. That might be the one game of all games where it was like you could feel, the, you could feel your heart coming right out of your chest on the mound. I'm going like whatever you've learned about like stilling your thoughts or whatever that, you know, all the mental fortitude of baseball. I'm trying everything. I'm like in through the nose, out through the mouth, look at the <laughs> searching through the stands, trying to find someone funny or someone in their underwear or something. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> I got a guy on third. I've thrown two big league pitches. I'm like, my ERA is infinity before I know it. <laughs> yeah. No, but you carved that game though. No, you gave up two runs over five and a half, five and two thirds, yeah. right? I don't know why I just said five yeah. and a half, but five and two thirds. So did you find a, like a, a, a point in that game where you kind of felt like you were just in a groove or you were just pitching, like, let's just say for the Canadian national team, like in your head, you were like, I'm not throwing a Ronald Acuna Jr. here. I'm just throwing to an average Joe. What, like, what did you do to kind of set yourself down or kind of earth yourself when you're pitching against the, the best team in baseball, I believe at that time? Yeah, I think uh, I got to say that it's like, I've talked about the day before. It's hard to even remember. You're so, you're so like just crazy adrenaline out, just nuts. But I don't know. I think I remember, I remember it being kind of after the triple that maybe that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was like, all right, well, I, I can't, I can no longer have a perfect career. Yeah. I can't strike everyone out now. So I guess I might, I might as well lock in and start hitting some spots instead of throwing 95 right down the middle. And then after that, it got better. That, yeah, it's just, it's an incredible performance. I mean, just the fact that you're, you have to, you get legit thrown in the fire. Like you're, you're thrown into the fire against the Atlanta Braves. You have to face Freddie Freeman, who's a guaranteed super Hall of Famer. You got Ozzy Albies, who's, I believe, leading the league in RBIs right now. Then you have Acuna, who's the superstar. So it's just insane to me that you went from. Hey, but you want to know what the, the scariest part was? What was? And that bat against Max Freed. Oh, my God. He rakes. Left, he lefty rakes, on le Lefty on lefty crime. I'm hitting left-handed. And granted, I've got a couple of bats in AAA and AA. But I, this, is, this guy's thrown from Randy Johnson-esque 97 with a curveball. And I slap one over to third. Uh, it, I was playing third that day. I, either way, I, it's like a, kind of a hard one hopper. And he like goes to his right. I don't know, backhands it. I get down the base. I get down the base. I'm safe at first. I think I've got my first hit, my first at bat. They call it a hit on the board. I'm going nuts. They throw the ball in. I'm like, oh my God, I'm hitting a thousand in the big leagues. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm Babe Ruth. I'm Shohei Otani. Like, yeah. they, they got to they gotta hit me now. And uh, they call it back. They call it an error. So That's I don't even sickening. have – I, I have my first fake hit ball. I've got a, my first hit ball. 
That first, that first fake hit ball has to go in the Canadian Hall of Fame. I feel like that's just <laughs> that's just a guarantee now because obviously maybe it's worthless to you, but that's just an incredible milestone. Yeah. Like a well, Freed had a fan, Freed had a good season that year. I kind of want to call him and be like, "Hey, man, we got to get this changed. Yeah, can like, you get this changed? I need, I need a hit more than you needed that out. I don't think I didn't score anything. Like, come on." Freed also rakes at the plate too. I don't know if what, what he is lifetime He's against a good you. Athlete. But what's He's it like? I always wanted I want wanted to ask this to guy that pitched in the NL. What's it what's it like to face pitchers? Because obviously these guys aren't, I mean, they're not like that good at hitting, but they can get a hold of one and just embarrass you in front of mil- like thousands of people. So what's your yeah. mindset pitching to a pitcher here? Are you just like, I'm gonna it's a trap. That's what it is. It's a trap. Because yeah, I mean, they're not great hitters, they're not practicing hitting. That being said. It's not like they're just some no-name Joe they pulled off the street who's never seen a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're playing catch every day, and they, they're well aware how this works. And like you said, it kind of feels like a lose-lose sometimes. It's like I'm supposed to strike this guy out. God forbid he hits an absolute laser beam homer <laughs> off me. Like, and you're on Sportsnet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've talked about it all the time on the pod. It's like, who's going to hit the first home run? We all need a home run. Meanwhile, we're, like, jamming balls 46 mile an hour to the third baseman. It's like we're not, we're not anywhere close. Well, this year – Eric Lauer, he got traded to the Brewers about the same time as me, maybe later, I don't know. Um, and, and Chris Paddock, who we'd all debuted right at the same time, Lauer hit a home run off Paddock to center field. Oh my and God. after the game, I'm just and, – and Paddock's like, he's doing fantastic. He's the sheriff. It's like, no big deal, whatever, for, for him. But I'm texting Lauer. I'm like, there's no way you just did that. <laughs> you did it off Paddock. Like, what are you – like, that's that's so messed up. Like, I was like, my face, you, I'm drilling you. That, <laughs> I'm not – I'm not, you're not hitting a home run off me. Like there's no way. Um, but yeah, I'm saying right now it's a trap because the guys are pretty good athletes. You let up a hit, you hate yourself and you got to go to the top, top of the order now. So no, you, anytime anyone gets grumpy for pitcher, someone like pitcher on pitcher, crime sliders, curveballs. I'm like, no, 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 no. You yeah. throw all that nasty, strike them out. Don't feel bad about it for a second. Seal it. Yeah, I got some. Like, just just get the punch out, and I love to see it. I mean, I, I obviously I enjoy the pitcher hits. Like, the pitcher hits are the most electric thing on on the planet because then they step on first base, they have to wear that big ass jacket to protect their <laughs> arm or whatever. It's just it's such a power move. People say I want DHs. No, I want to see Cal Quantrill step in the box against you, Darvish, and I want to see Cal go hit a double off the wall. Like that'd be electric. That's how you get more fans to the game. A guy that looks like an average, like obviously in the batter's box, looks like an average joke because he doesn't practice baseball raking. It's it's electric. So I, I, don't, I don't know if it's – I'm going to pull – I'm probably on the other side of history with that take, but I might be yeah. wrong on it. But well, we'll I, almost got, I almost got my Canadian citizenship take, taken away in my second start against the Braves because it was against Soroka. Soroka, yeah. And I drilled him. Right? <laughs> I hit him. I hit him, hit him in his left – like I think it was his left finger, and I was like – Oh my oh God. God. Like, like it's over, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I have, I'm just an American now. Like I can't go home. I True. just, I just, I just killed our future. But <laughs> Dude, you're right. <laughs> and he was grumpy too. But I come out of the game. I'm texting him. I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I was like, forgive me, forgive me. <laughs> and you can be honest here. I mean, were you receiving, because Braves fans are scary human beings when they're struggling. Were you receiving legit close to death threats in your Instagram DMs when you just, hit Soroka? No, nobody, nobody hated me more than I hated me in that moment. <laughs> really? You, so you weren't getting was, any messages. No one was like, there was, there was, you there clown. Was, there, there was nothing anyone could say that was going to make me feel worse than I, I love Soroka. I just drilled this guy. He's a pitcher. He's not even on the plate. <laughs> Granted, he did like he broke. It was like a two seamer in, and he like yeah. broke. Yeah, 
yeah, I was, I was like, you can't, it's the one thing you can't do. Like, yeah, you, you don't draw the pitcher. pitcher, man. I, you can't. You're right on that. But it's just Soroka's a Canadian hero, so I'm I'm actually surprised you weren't getting like legit death threats on the DMs, being like, bro, you can't be hitting Soroka. Uh, all that I mean, kind of stuff. They're too nice. They're too nice. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. True. The Braves fans, yeah. may, may, they might. Though. The Braves fans might have came at you. And let's go into this year. Obviously, I mean, this year you started off as a reliever role, right? Going like one, two innings, stuff like that. And then you had to adjust to becoming a starter. I mean, what was that adjustment for you? Because when you're in the bullpen, I'm assuming you're kind of trying to stay locked in, ripping smelling salts, maybe having a good time with the boys. But then you got to kind of turn, flip the switch, and you're ready to go in the game. You don't know when you're going to go in the game. And then when you're a starter, you kind of have that. You work up to it, correct? So what's what's that difference for you? Yeah, that's been tough. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that it's probably the toughest thing I've had to do so far is the transition. Like, it is different. Uh, in the pen – there's a certain amount of just like caveman ish to it. Like you just go out there and you crush a coffee, maybe a Red Bull, maybe two Red Bulls. You're, <laughs> you're staying like you're locked in, right? Like locked in waiting for the moment that you have to, you have to enter the game. And like, and there is no, no, no buildup. Like you can't get nervous, right? It's you, 10, 10 up pitches, roll out there, throw as hard as you can, get six outs, see you tomorrow, do the same thing. I tried to, at first I tried to take that approach and just make that a starter routine. Um, it's not really that effective. Like it's, it's, it's too tough. There's so many things you're trying to build up your body to be ready to throw 120 pitches, not 10, you know, for 10 days in a row. So, but there were things I did learn from the pen, like, you know, attacking hitters, getting quick outs that, I, that have translated, but the approach, not so much. So one of the things I did is that first month, I was playing catch before the game when I was starting, oh, sorry, the first month I was transitioning to starting, I'd play catch like early in the day, like, like a reliever. And it, I would say like it had some benefit, but this last month, what we decided is like, all right, let's like fully commit to a starter routine. So like, let's look at like what, what, what's Savali, Plesak, Bieber, what are these guys doing? Let's, let's see if we can't bring like a little, little bring it a little closer to that and see if that's not going to help feel a little better third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Because the issue wasn't those first couple innings. It was like I was felt like I was having a hard time, like, maintaining that energy level, like, yeah. throughout the game. So it, it's been good. And it's been kind of a learning process. It's funny, like, you know, I've started my whole career. It's not like this is my first time starting, right? True. It's only, I've relieved a lot less than I've ever started. That being said, you know, you just you, you become good at something, and then that's your routine. And it's hard to just, like, flip the switch. But it's been good, and it, it – for me anyways, it gives me confidence that it's like, all right, like I can compete in any role that, that I'm offered. Right. If you made me the closer tomorrow, I feel like I'd have an approach. If I have to go 120 pitches tomorrow, I feel like I've got an approach. So it's been good. Dude, you've been fucking carving though, bro. Like I'm looking at your stats right now. I mean, obviously I haven't paying attention to it. You 17 innings, your last 17 innings, you've given up three runs. I mean, you're just been absolutely locked in. What do you feel like has been going well for you in those last three starts? Like you said, the mindset, are you ripping smelling salts, having a pregame dip? Are you changing what music you're listening to? Like what's going on here pregame for you? Um, again, I think, I think maybe just like from, for me, the biggest thing, which is a little more routine, like a little more, uh, like a starts earlier, more consistent. So like, you know, what, whatever, I mean, your nutrition can be what you want it to be but you know if you're going to crush red pasta before the night before and then like overnight oats in the morning like do it consistently see if that see if that puts you in a spot where where you're in like you feel right um the other thing is like maybe i've gone to a a much more extended warm-up like 30 40 minutes in the gym before um like get a real sweat on like a lather like really get moving 
And then honestly, probably most importantly is just starting to, I'm starting to feel more comfortable on the mound. I feel like I'm executing more pitches. My arm feels good. I think that some of the improvements we've made like throughout these past couple off seasons are finally starting to show. Um, and, and, and let's be real. I got two great catchers. So I, I'm like, you know, I'm feeling better. I think the catchers are starting to learn me and like what we can do and how we can attack hitters. And, you know, and it kind of all builds into like some better outings, but I, yeah, no, it's just like I said, man, I was watching your start. I believe the last one you were pitching against the Cardinals. Is that correct? Yeah. The Cardinals you're going against Cardinals and dude, every, if it, it seemed like I'm not a baseball, I'm not a genius, but it seemed like a lot of your pitches were working for you that game. I mean, you were locating real well. And I, and I saw, and I think that on the telecast, what they were doing, they were comparing this one to like when you were a little bit struggling and stuff like that, when you were leaving pitches elevated, or I guess, and hanging balls, but it just, dude, I'm not even lying. That St. Louis start, every single pitch was like on, on the black. You were fucking painting. It was insane. So I, what do you do in pre? Are you look, like, give us a little pregame uh, pump up music. What are you listening to? What are you firing on the, on the, speakers? every time I listen, I listen to green day every time. Wow. <laughs> green day. Day <laughs> Absolutely. Don't even care what song it is. It doesn't matter. But green day in, in the, uh, in the wave room, 30 minutes of getting lathered up, roll out there, throw your pen. Say hello to the opposing starting pitch. It's important to be nice, right? You're about to go to battle with this guy. It's like a, I always I think of it as it's like kind of like like an old school like we're about to have like a like a standoff. Yeah, yeah, but but there's respect there, right? Like yeah. a little tip of the cap to Wainwright. I was super excited. I'm going up against a legend. You know, a, yeah, truly a legend. Couple legends lately. Granky not too long ago. Wainwright. Tip on the cap. All right, let's go to war, my man. And then you head out there. I've got my uh, what's my song right now? It's I think it's like a. Famous last words, I think, is my is my warm up okay. song right now. Little whiny emo kind of stuff. Get a little like get your groove up on the map, and, and then you go to war. Uh, you're missing a perfect marketing opportunity, and this is why. Like I said, I'm a Cal Quantro guy now forever. So this, you're missing a massive opportunity, Cal. What are you doing? Not playing Nickelback on the speakers? What are you doing? They're Canadian. <laughs> they bump. They have absolute I, I tracks. What Nickelback. are you doing? I approve of Nickelback. I'm not ashamed to say it, but but. We'll have to save that. Hey, if I have maybe if I have a bad one, we'll see. We'll, we'll mix it up. We'll bring in some 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 Nickelback, some Rockstar. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a content piece here. So every, on the official official pod Instagram, like when I know it's a couple days before your start, I'm gonna do the Cal Quantrill program. You tell me what you're doing the day before and the day of. I'm gonna do the exact same shit, and I'm gonna see how my body feels, how I get a good workout. The great in. part is is you're doing exactly what I'm doing the day before. I'm pitching tomorrow, so we do a podcast in the morning. And we're going to go walk around Chicago. You can go walk around I, okay. yeah. <laughs> Southern Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, like you're doing it right now. You're okay. living a big league life. So, okay. So, the, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm talking about the food. You tell me the workout <laughs> regimen. I'm doing the exact same shit you're doing. We're going to call it the Cal Quantrill routine. Like Tom Brady, the CQ 47. We're going to call it the CQ 47. <laughs> not sure we're there yet, but okay. <laughs> we're going to be doing that. I'm going to be firing it. We're just going to get that going. But let's go into the off-field stuff for a second here because I love these stories about the minor leagues. You grind in the minor leagues. Tell us your Mona Lisa, the funniest minor league story you've ever had. And I'll give you an example. We've had fans climb flight poles with machetes. We've had fans wait at team buses to fight a guy on the team. What is your Mona Lisa minor league story that you are going to tell your grandkids about that's the funniest shit you've ever heard or seen, I guess? Minor league story. Hmm. Huh. Off the top of my head, I'm not even sure. Like, minor league story. I played in some cool minor league cities. Okay, I'm trying to think. I, I, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of. 
I don't know. I don't like, know. Did if, a fan ever come got, at you? Did a fan? Because I know you're a nice guy. You're Canadian, but did a fan ever come at you or any interaction like that where a fan's been out of pocket with you or said shit that's like, all right, man, let's take it easy here. I don't. I don't think so. Hey, the one the one that does come to mind is is uh, the All Star Game in High A was in Visalia, California, which is like middle of nowhere. Um, you know, cow yeah, heard, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, the events at this game, at this, like, whatever, the events that the fans wanted to watch. I don't know if they were fan voted on, whatever. <laughs> there was milking this giant ass cow, like, <laughs> full on milking it, like a race, a team of four who could milk the thing faster. I don't know if they had two cows out there. I can't remember. There was, like, a, a lasso contest, right? Like, no one, I want to say there was, like, two guys who had ever, like, even considered doing any of these things before. Well, anyways, the guy who wins the oh, – what was his name? He might be in the show now. The guy who wins the milking contest, they're, like, cheering him. Like, he, he wins it. He starts cheering. They're, like, drink it. Drink it. It's, like – and it's just, like, straight out of it. Like, you know, like, come on. I'm not – ew. And this kid's, like – he's, like, trying to drink it. <laughs> he can't get it down. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like most stories, you know, can't repeat most of the minor league stories. Yeah, no, we've had some funny <laughs> ones, man. If you're looking, if you're looking for an account, the, that minor league grinders account kind of cracks me up. Yeah, no, that's a great account. I mean, yeah, dude, the minor league stories, and I'm just so fascinated. And I say this all the time on the podcast. I'm just so fascinated with the minor leagues, just the shit you guys go through, because there's no other sport like it. And no. you know, for hockey, the AHL are getting paid like 150k a year. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're getting paid good money. You're staying in like these five star hotels, and then you have guys. System. Yeah, then you have guys in low A who. Are or I don't know if you see the story. There's guys that have to sleep in their clubhouse because they can't afford to like stay in a hotel. Oh, it's a mess. It's a mess. We had a guy, River Stevens. He was living in a RV out like just beyond the left field wall playing in his like sixth or seventh year in double A. Like it's tough. I think that there's, there's no doubt room for improvement here. Um, yeah. I think, you know, if, if you're investing, you got some kids on the team who have signed $5 million, you know, signing bonus deals. And you got kids on the team who signed $5,000 signing bonus. Like, we can't have we can't have kids making less than than what their their housing costs. And yeah. you know, you end up in a tough city. Like if you end up, you know, somewhere on the west coast in a big city and you can't you, you can't afford to stay at the team hotel, like it's a tough it needs, it needs to get better. But I will say, if you're willing to like go through it, it tells a lot about like how much guys want baseball, right? Because you got this kid and you know, he's grinded his whole career didn't have the great D one offer. Didn't have this, didn't have that Has a great second year at some Juco. And, and uh, instead of going to the D one school, he, he takes a $5,000 signing bonus and, and a plane ticket shows up. And this guy is at the field at 11 AM clubhouse is 85 degrees. He's in there doing pushups before people show up. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you really start to see like, all right, like these guys are willing to put their entire lives on hold, make no money just to chase this dream a little longer, knowing that the team sees them as their, you know, as the 17th best middle infield prospect or something like, you know, like not, not the Tatis, not nobody. So I think that uh, it's, I still, I kind of, I kind of like that minor league culture. I just think that we can do a little better job making sure that everyone's, you know, doing fine. And I, I respect the grind aspect of it. It's just at the point where it's like, I feel bad where you have guys that are in the minors, right? And they have to work at like a golf course in in the off season or just work at like a, a restaurant or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me that professional athletes have to do that. But 
Anyways, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go into your first career win. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the Rogers Center. Naylor's family was there. Your family was there. What was that shit like, man? I mean, just getting that first dub at the Rogers Center. Wow. That's uh, that's the Cinderella moment, right? Never thought in a million years that's how, especially once you get drafted by San Diego. Like, I'm not even <laughs> yeah. going to pitch. I'm not even going to pitch at the Rogers Center. True, level yeah. In there. Yeah. And it happens to be the one every five years that we go to Toronto. It happens to line up that I'm pitching that game we put up 25 runs or something crazy. Like couldn't have lost it if I tried. It was great. I had hundreds of people there. We were just having a blast. This is pre COVID life's normal. It was wow. What, what an experience. The only thing that kind of stuck is I want to say it was smoke. Someone ruined my day by hitting an absolute bomb. Yeah. I think it was Justin smoke. I think it was Justin smoke. Yeah. That was preferred preferred to go scoreless. That would have been a little better. Sometimes, and maybe I could be wrong on this, and I might get absolutely roasted on the internet for saying this. I feel like having a one earned run stat line is cooler than a zero. I, I could be wrong on that. Just looking at it aesthetic wise, if I see eight innings, one run, I'm like, holy shit, this guy carved compared to eight innings, zero runs. Like, all right, this guy carved. Like, I don't know what it is. I could be just the dumbest human being of all time, but I think if I see a one under ER, I just automatically think this guy carved. So I think it's all, all about how it happened. Because let me tell you right now, I promise you, I'm having more fun if I got zero runs. On <laughs> You're right, but it just dude, he, if you go out in the first pitch of the game, a guy hits a bomb, and then you lock in and, and you go eight innings. Yeah, like, dang, like that's that's some really impressive stuff. Like even even yesterday, like Lynn uh, lets up two earn, two earnings just in the first inning. You know, couldn't get enough. His first out was a guy getting thrown out at third. Yeah, to then to then lock that down and. And granted, it wasn't his best outing of the year, but to really like come back, start punching tickets, get the four seam working. To me, that like as a baseball fan, there is definitely a certain amount of respect for someone who can do that, right? There's there's two ways you can go: you let up the leadoff double and you cave and you go an inning into third and you ruin everything, or you grind and you try and give your team a chance to win. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's like there's time and place for the eight and one, but. I'll take eight and zero every day. Yeah, and and just going into your last start, I mean, against the Cardinals, you went six innings, one and run, it was a home run. Now that I look at that shit, like I looked at, I think I was at the golf course. I look at that shit, I'm like, holy shit, Cal carved. Like I could well, look at that home run too. Look at that home run. That was paint. I yeah. painted that pitch. I don't know how Bader hit that ball out of the park. I mean, you got to tip your cap. You got to tip your cap. He's so, hot right now. At the at the same point, you got to tip your cap, man. I mean, that's just if a guy hits a pitch like that, you just tip your cap, say good for you. Yeah. And the second last thing I want to talk about is you last year, you guys were in the playoffs. Humble brag. Luplo absolutely launched, by the way. Good for him. But you're playing against the Yankees. You get to see Garrett Cole, the $300 million man. You're live in action. You get to watch this guy pitch in the playoffs. Obviously, there was no fans. What was that like for you, man? I mean, that's just insane to just even be in that playoff atmosphere, even though there's no fans, right? Oh, it was a blast. And, and, and you got a Bieber Cole game. You know, you've got you know, are you probably, I guess last year, what, you, is it fair to say the two best yeah, easily. pitchers in the American easily, league? Yes, like, yeah. You know, so you got some, it was good. It was awesome. It's fun. It's as a pitcher, it is always fun going up against or watching of like an elite pitcher. Not, I mean, listen, I'm sure Luke wasn't thrilled that he's got to go face some, whatever, blow the stud, but, but yeah, I mean, Cole's real and, 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 and like playoffs, he dialed it up. It felt like he had a hundred anytime he wanted. He's got the curveball, the slider. He's controlling everything. It was a great battle. You know, I think that the game I pitched in, I want to say it was like 12, like one in the morning by the time I came in. Sun, 
we, we got rained on for a while. It was delayed. And then we're playing again. We blow the lead. I think I, I want to say I pitched in bottom of the ninth with two out bases loaded or was when I came in, like just playoff baseball is wild. Like it's all hands on deck. Everyone's warm the entire game. You know, if a guy gets in trouble in the first inning, they very well could go bullpen. So yeah, it, it's exciting. Man. It was a lot of fun. I, and it was, a, it was a nice like first taste kind of left a little bit of a sour, sour taste in all our mouths. I, I don't think that after, after getting traded and we finishing the year strong, it was pretty frustrating, but um, Hey man, there can only be one champion. True. And, and I want to bring up a couple stats here for you that just, and I always say this to my guests, I feel like I should have at least a role in your arbitration um, because I bring up these stats that not many people know of. Here's a couple stats for you. All right. So Cal Quantrill in the month of May is the best pitcher in baseball. Don't stat check me on that. He has a one five. You're in this 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 year, the month of May. You had a one five ERA. Did you know that? Did you know that you carved like that in the month of May? Uh, I mean, it's just endless. The days keep going. <laughs> so yes, and and at home, Cal Quantrill has a three two two ERA in fifteen games. Just absolutely carving. But this is my favorite stat here. Post All Star break, you have a one five nine ERA. I'm not a stat guy, but that a lot of people are going to say that's good. And then the last one actually here. You are 100%, I think, better on grass. I believe you have a 3-6 ERA when you're pitching on grass. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It does make sense. I get a lot of ground balls. Turf's no good for me. True, yeah. Too fast. So that's Too why, fast. The, yeah, that's why just the Rogers that you coming home to the Rogers Center pit, uh, playing for the Jays is like, it's just, you don't, you want to pitch on grass, right? I mean, I respect yeah, that. But that's the, that's, that's the why they lined me up make. to pitch here, you know? It's yeah. Like and by the way, I am legit heartbroken you're not going against the Jays. Somehow, some way, we got to finesse it. Maybe try to finesse a scratch from this start, start on Monday. It's just, dude, there's a little part of you kind of wish you were starting in Toronto. It's a four game series. You're the only pitcher not pitching that series legitimately the only pitcher on our team who won't pitch that series yeah i know i mean it is what it is the schedule just worked out that way I, I i'd say yeah i'm, a, I'm like I'm a little it's a little unfortunate that being said i'm gonna have a better trip home you get to see more people yeah won't have to go th- won't have to go through the uh our routine now it's our routine we're sharing a routine or our red pasta yeah, and our, our overnight and oats you know and what? our workout. I'm it sucks because it sucks. I'm Italian. I would have got homemade Italian red pasta for it. You would have been eating like a king the day before you start. It would have been a <laughs> nine inning complete game. It would have been a complete game shutty if you'd have, if you'd have, if you'd have started here. Wow. Against yeah. your Blue Jays, that's yeah. pretty good. I don't care. And I say this to every single I said it to Luplo. When you were facing the Blue Jays, they're dead to me. So, unfor- like, fortunately, you're not pitching against the Jays. So, I don't like they're not to be dead to me this whole week. But whenever you step foot on the mound against the Blue Jays, they're dead to me, Cal. So just remember that when you're on the bump, just know I'm not I'm not wishing bad things right, upon I, you. I tell I tell all our guys the same thing at home. I said you can cheer for the Blue Jays all the rest of the games. When I'm pitching, there's no cheering for the Blue Jays. That's messed True. up. And and like I said, the best pitcher in May in all of baseball, one five ERA. That's just the stats. And the fact that you need to pitcher. I, hey, listen, I, I appreciate you not talking about it soon. Let's focus on May well, and July. Well, <laughs> well, June, I mean, June, and listen, this is why I'm a cow guy. I'm a spin zone guy. June, and the thing is, it's like my golf game. You can't start out too hot. You were way too good in May, and then June, it's like the baseball gods Paid try to price. ground you. Yeah, paid the price. Yeah. The yeah June- and and if you look at some of the deeper numbers, you, know, you can't have a 1-5 with a 1-5 whip for very long. Right? True. There's got to be some equalizing. But I'm not a whip yeah, guy, I mean, by hey, the way. Here's, I, the, I, here's the thing. Here's the thing with baseball. You play 162 games, right? It's hard to be perfect for the entire time. To me, it's about like, it's, you cannot extend the bad ones. Like you, you can have a bad one. You can have two bad ones, but what you can't do is like, let it just like build and turn into a, just a wave where it's, you know, a whole month where you're a useless pitcher. 
Yeah. You got to just flush it, go out there and see what we can do. Like, you know, if you go an inning and a third, the next time it's not about going eight to make up for it. It's about just getting back on the track and doing what you're supposed to do the first time. That's what I feel like it is for my golf game. I'll shoot a seven and then I'm like, all right, I got a birdie here. That's just what I do. And let's go into your golf game, man. We're both golf guys. Uh, yeah. Luplo, Luplo told me you're a stick, by the way. I don't know if that's true. Oh, I don't, you're all right. I don't on know the, you're pretty good on the golf course, probably compared to me, the average guy. But what, hey, I am left-handed, though. What's I your golf game? Uh, that's just electric. That's just incredible. What's your golf game like? I mean, give the people a little understanding on your golf game. Um, I'd say my golf game is uh, tumultuous. What's what's the word? What a word. It's a, that's it's a Stanford volatile. word. That's a Stanford it's word. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go front nine. I'll shoot a – call it a 41. I think I'm – Killing it, five over, four over, killing it. And then the back nine, I'll go rip out a fifty because I'm in the woods to the left every Been single there. off the off the <laughs> off the Been tee box, there. just four left, four left, four left, <laughs> four no, holes I, in a row. But you're right. It, hey, but it's part of being a pitcher. I gotta get better. Gotta True. get better. Pitchers hey, gotta you be go, You gotta make that a goal in the offseason. I mean, what course are you a member? Are you a member over here in Ontario or no? No, I was actually growing up. I was a member at Dalewood, right in Port Hope. Had fun there. Now. I don't know. Now I'm kind of playing a lot of courses, but uh, we've been spoiled this year. Brought our clubs on the road a couple times. We've gotten some real nice courses. Yeah, we got to get out this off season. I'll, we'll figure something out. We'll get out this off season. Whether it's obviously it won't be here because it'll be cold. We'll figure something out in Arizona because I'm supposed yeah, to right. golf a loop. I owe I owe loops a golf round, so we'll figure something out. And this is the last thing I want to bring up here is is I have a suggestion for you just to kind of I'm a big Cal Quantrill guy now, as you know. Maybe start embracing the Canada role a little bit. I don't know what you have to do. Maybe start throwing up the six when you when you strike someone out or something along those lines. <laughs> or maybe, maybe just we're, we'll go, we'll shy away from Canada. You got to start becoming a small and soft guy. I don't know what we have to do. We got to get a camera in that dugout before you can step on the mound. You rip a smelling salt, maybe a Red Bull, get the people going, step on the mound. Your Instagram feed, your Twitter will blow up. I'm just, I'm just helping you out. I think most people think I've already got enough energy on the mound. I can't help myself. I get those big outs. I'm freaking out. I'm like, the guys are all kidding. Like, just get to the dugout, get to the dugout before you go crazy. I'm like, no, no. I just punched that ticket. I'm going to go nuts right here, right on the mound. Yeah, I'm fine and, with it, man. I like, I kind of like where baseball is heading. Like, listen, it stinks when it happens to you, no doubt. But like Liam Hendricks last night punches a couple tickets and he's like flexing on the mound. Listen, I think as long as you are being, as long as long as it is not a you know middle finger f you to the other dugout. I mean, I think it's okay to have a little energy in baseball. Like, there's not there's nothing wrong with getting excited. You just punched out one of the best 300 hitters on earth, right? Like. Be excited sure. about it. You just you're executed that pitch you've been working on for six years. Be excited about it. You you're just hit an absolute missile off me. That's fine. You know, it's you don't have to. Be, it just doesn't have to be like combative. You don't have to go at the other guy. I'm good with it. I like. You're, I mean, you're right on that. But this is the thing that really, really aggravates me, and I'll end it on this: is the the situation that we had last week with Amir Garrett, who's a friend of the show, and Javi Baez. Listen, okay. So, and people, I, I even I tweeted it. I said Javi Baez is spineless. Because first of all, Amir Garrett used to punch Javi Baez tickets, used to carve him on the mound. He would celebrate. Javi Baez wanted to fight him. Javi Baez would step onto the mound, would try to run to the mound, try to fight Amir because he's showing emotion, right? Amir Garrett gives up a hit to Javi. Javi is sweeping or rowing the boat down the first baseline, throws his bat at Amir, and we're supposed to be okay with that. And Amir didn't show one thing of emotion, didn't react to that at all. That's why I actually credit Amir for not doing anything to that. But if you, can, if you can't take it, you shouldn't be dishing that shit, man. And I'm, I'm going to get roasted for that. 
I might, I might get Rosen I, for that. I think, I think it's got to go both ways. And again, I think some of it's got like, I don't know the whole story between, between those two on that one. That being said, I, I think that like, again, it comes down to like, okay, are you like, are you attacking him or are you, or are you like cheering for yourself? There's a difference, right? You punch a ticket and you stare him down as he walks off the field. Like, all right, if he hits a bomb, he's probably going to embarrass you too. Yeah. Like is you, you, the goal for me is like, there should be no embarrassing of the other guy. Right. Like we just talked about this. There's respect. Like, I respect how hard you've worked to be in your position. When I punch your ticket, I'm like, I'm building me up because I just punched your ticket. It's not like, oh, you suck. I punched your ticket. So I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where we're going to head with this um, in baseball. I do think that hitters, uh, just my my opinion, I think they're a little sour. I mean, they've been hop skipping around bases for the last like 10 years. Dude, like, exactly. Like, I'm like, come on, man. Like, you've been doing this crap. Every single time you get a hit, you're on first base. And even like the Padres, they were, we were chopping in 2019 and stuff. It's like, okay, so fine. If he punches your ticket, then you can't complain about a little fist pump. Like, it's just, right? Like, it's offense, defense, a little part of it. But, yeah, that's my big thing. It's just like there has to be a certain level of respect between players because without it, like, the game just isn't the same. That being said, you want to you wanna hit a home run and triple hop, skip around the bases, Euro step going into home. That's fine. I don't care. When I punch your ticket, I'm going to give you a little double fist pump and let the guys know. Like, all right. That's right. how it should be, though. But it just – the thing is, hit you you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head when you said the hitters are sour part because Javi Baez obviously plays flashy. He'll do flashy stuff on the bump, like on in the batter's box, he'll, on the field. But if you can't dish it, like Amir – I remember specifically, it was in Great American Ballpark. Amir struck Javi out in a high-leverage situation. Amir screamed, let's go on that guy, whatever. I don't know what he said. Have your bias was staring at him, telling him to come here, fight me, fight me, all this stuff. But if you can't take a mere showing emotion that he got you out in a high leverage situation, then don't hit a home run and start sweeping and throw a bat at him. You know what I mean? I could be wrong on that, man. I honestly, I could be on the wrong side. Maybe because I'm a mere Garrett guy. That's why. But it's just, if you can't dish it, you shouldn't be able to be flashy like that. I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that's the right situation to look at, but <laughs> I, I'll have to rewatch that one, man. I haven't even seen that one, but Amir Garrett has been in quite a few of these little scrums lately. Yeah, and I guess it's he's just becoming he's become a must-watch TV. Yeah, he's like a Tom Wilson kind of situation in hockey. I don't know if people are gonna understand that situation, understand that, but that's just what he's become like. And I respect it. Just every every the game needs a villain, man. You need a guy that goes on the mound and people are gonna hate him or love Bracer him. Brace your role. Yeah, yeah, brace your role. Embrace the role. He clearly has. But anyways, man, obviously I'm excited to obviously see you in Toronto here. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with these tickets I have. I might have to sell them. Maybe give them to your family. I don't know. We'll see. But actually, I might come to the game. Maybe give uh, – we, we might do a jersey swap. But you don't give me anything. I'll just give you an official, unofficial shirt, and we'll just do a fake jersey swap, just like the two guys in the Las Vegas club. We'll, we'll figure something right. out there. But anyways, Cal, like I said, I'm grinding at you on the podcast. I'm fired up to have you on. And now you're in front of the show, so anytime I ask you to come on, you're kind of obligated to come on. So that's just what we do now. I like your rules. <laughs> it works out pretty good, huh? And, and what I give you in return is anyone that comes at you on Twitter, anyone that comes at you on social media, I roast them. Just like what I said to the guy that Perfect. tried to roast Luplo yesterday or two days ago. So Perfect. I'm not, I'm not clever enough for the Twitter game, so I'll let you handle it. Yeah, I, dude, I got you, man. I really do got you at the end of the day, man. And obviously, I'm gonna, I might make t-shirts actually, Canada Songbird with a picture of you just in the middle of it. That's what we're going to do, Cal. I appreciate Perfect. you hopping on this, brother. Best of luck tomorrow. Obviously, this is dropping next Thursday, so we'll know. But let's just – I'm not going to make a prediction because then I'm going to jinx it. So let's just say best of luck in tomorrow's appearance. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at a fish on a fish pod. 
and on Instagram at officially unofficial pod. Thank you.